Hi, this is Steve. And this is Lisa. Uh, and this is our podcast that we call... I Married a History Teacher. I Married a History Teacher. Um, and it feels like, as we discussed about two weeks ago when we last potted, uh, feels like we're living history now, huh? It does. It still does. There's still a ton of activity and uh, a lot of discussion, a lot of action, um, a lot of commitments around the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah, and almost like we have like another civil rights movement on our hands, yes. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I hope it's as um, impactful as the last mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, big shift. Of course, we'll never know for a while. It's too, these things usually take time to develop. This is the problem with living history. Yeah, yeah you, you still got to give it a few years so you can look back and really see what, uh, what came of it. Yeah, and we have no idea what's going to happen in a couple months and if it gets overshadowed by something insane like World War III. Honestly, I could say that about a couple days from now. I mean, it's like this year. Yeah, you never know what's coming at you. It's been pretty wild. It's been pretty wild. But anyway, Lisa, I was thinking that I wanted to keep going with this theme. Um, Can't be a history podcast and ignore the living history we're happening. We're living through it right now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that I decided that I want to do is sort of clarify and talk about in more detail a lot of uh, sort of events from our past yeah. that have been going viral, they're, they're being brought up a lot, and I just mm-hmm. want to talk about them and give some historic background. Yeah. I Again, you and I do not have black perspective to provide because no. we are very much middle-class white folks. Yes. But what we do have is the medium of history to clarify things for people and hopefully give some insight that way for some historical context. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a huge theme of education in general going on right now, and um, yeah, I look forward to hearing more details because I... Yeah, obviously, like everyone else, I've caught wind of these viral yeah. moments. Um, so the, the the four things that are kind of just really two different stories um, that I want to talk about are Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Rosewood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I want to talk about Emancipation, well, I guess the Emancipation Proclamation specifically, and Juneteenth, which is tomorrow, or for many of you will be, you know, when you're listening to it, or perhaps, you know. Juneteenth would have just passed. Uh, but we should talk about it because I think there's a lot of it flying around and people need some historic background here. They do. Um, let's start with Tulsa and Rosewood. Okay. Now, I think Tulsa and Rosewood really hit the map hard with that viral video that also made its way on to... Um, John Oliver. John Oliver, right, where it was basically an African-American woman explaining that she doesn't give a shit that they burned down a target in their community. She's like, it's not our community. We don't own shit here. Mm-hmm. You know, screw your target. All right? We tried having our own communities, and when you dropped bombs on us and you massacred us, like in Tulsa and Rosewood. Yes. And this went real viral, again, as we talked about. So I just wanted to kind of clarify what this stuff was because, you know, we have the podcast that's, you know, they last 30, 40 minutes, right? Can't be a time snippet on John Oliver and last 30, 40 minutes, right? Oh, yeah. I was wondering where you're going. Yeah. That. Well, it's like she couldn't <laughs> sit there and explain Tulsa. So now I would like to explain Tulsa to people who don't know what happened with Tulsa and what she was referring to. Yeah. I, yeah. All I think right. I, it's sad that it took that video to bring its people's attention, but... It is, and we're going to talk about that after Tulsa, because I think it's far more ridiculous than just that woman. It goes way deeper than that. Because Tulsa and Rosewood both had actual cover-ups. Like, immediately after them, 
the government, like the local and state governments, trying to make sure that no one found out about them. Because <laughs> even back then, even if it was like the racist time in American history, arguably, it was 1920s, they knew that they had done something fucked up enough that they needed to cover it up from the general public. Like, they were not proud of it. We'll talk about that a little bit. But okay. let's get to the story. And to get to the story of the Tulsa quote-unquote race riots, as some people refer to them, um, we'll find out it's really much more accurately a massacre. Um, we have to understood Greenwood, Oklahoma in the 1900s, in late 1800s into the early 1900s and the 1920s. It was a town that technically wasn't in Tulsa. It was technically a suburb outside of Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a, an entirely black community. Okay. This suburb was called Greenwood. Okay. It is now officially part of Tulsa city limits. Okay. But back then it was a black suburb. All right. Greenwood, Oklahoma, in the 19 teens and early 1920s, was one of the most affluent neighborhoods in all of the United States of America. Wow. Yes. So despite the fact that this was the Jim Crow era in a place like Oklahoma, which is like pseudo the South anyway, um, they developed this amazing community. Okay. And also about Oklahoma, huge racial history there along with Native Americans, right? We moved all the Native Americans out from the East Coast and put them in Oklahoma. All right, well, eventually we're going to go there. It's like we change our mind. We want this land. And one of the things they're going to do, because there's so many Native Americans out there and, like, uh, black people that either escaped slavery or brought slavery and moved to Oklahoma, it's like we're going to divide and segregate all these neighborhoods. All right? So deep racial lines drawn already here in Oklahoma. At a, as a result of white people saying that they want to live there now, so the way yeah. to do that is just to... to Deeply segregate the population. Right. They're like, we want this land now. We obviously don't want to live around blacks and Indians, so we're going to segregate out towns. And Greenwood, Oklahoma, was a segregated black community. Okay. All right. Now, the story goes of how this whole thing started, but even this has been largely covered up, so we don't know a lot of details. Apparently, there was a black man from Greenwood named Diamond Dick Rowland. Some people argue that that guy never existed, and it might have been another guy named, like, like John James or something like that. But regardless, he worked in downtown Tulsa. Sorry, his name was Di- like his, it was, was that- Apparently, his, it was, he was a guy named Diamond Dick Rowland. Not a nickname? Oh, of course it was a nickname. Okay. Diamond, Diamond was. His name was Richard Rowland. Okay. But his okay. nickname was Diamond Dick Rowland. Okay. Um, see, Lisa, you seem to be chuckling a little bit. Dick is a nickname for Richard. (laughs) This is what I'm bringing to the podcast. (laughs) I'm mature. Um, Anyway, he worked in downtown Tulsa, which is pretty much mostly white, right? So when he was working down there, the bathroom he could use was at the top floor of a building, so there's a non-segregated bathroom. Also, this is 1921, so the elevators were operated by elevator operators. And this one happened to be operated by a lady named Sarah Page. Again, we're not even totally sure that this is real because we couldn't even track what happened to Sarah Page or Diamond Dick Rowland after this all happened. What We're not sure that it's real, that they're real? or Yeah, well, we don't know. Like, this is just, like, basically word of mouth of how this whole thing started. Okay. So this may have been how this it started. This may or may not have happened. 
Okay. Okay. And the story goes is that Dick Rowland tripped getting on the floor. We were getting onto the elevator. Okay. Mm-hmm. And as he was getting on, he tripped, grabbed Sarah Page's arm. And of course, because of, if you haven't listened to our last episode, um, the historic context for Black Lives Matter, please go back and listen to it because it's going to make this make a lot more sense. Because what a lot of people thought of of black men where they were these rapey dudes who couldn't control themselves around white women, she panicked. And they had like a relationship in a sense that they saw each other every day, multiple times a day. Mm. But as soon as the black man touched her, she panicked, flicks out, and starts like hitting her and like screaming, right? And that's when the... when the elevator hits the first floor, it opens up. There's this huge ruckus at the elevator. And, of course, what all these white people see is a black man attacking a white woman. Yikes. Okay. So he flees, right? Gets mm-hmm. out of there. Luckily, well, maybe not so luckily, kind of unintended consequences thing. But there's a decent sheriff in town who's going to go and he's going to find Diamond Dick Rowland. And he's going to take him. He's going to take him to jail. He's going to isolate him where people don't know he's there. He's going to hide him there. So he can have a proper trial. So he doesn't want him to just get taken by the masses. Right. They doesn't want... Um, oh, man. The term is totally leaving me when... Lynch mob? Is that what you're looking well, for? Well, <laughs> that's the result of it. But uh, it's like when it's social justice. Is that yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, some people call that Texas justice, too. <laughs> uh, in Oklahoma, what is it if not... Baby Texas, right? Um, so anyway, this you know the sheriff gets him and he's holding on to him, and but the newspapers get a hold of the story. And, you know the classic, you know non-bias American media. So it's printing this incident about a black man like assaulting a white woman, and literally start directing the people of Tulsa to start nabbing up black men, like in the newspapers. The newspapers are saying one black man assaulted a woman in an elevator. Yeah. Therefore, the logical next step would be to <laughs> capture all black men inside. Well, they need to find the guy who did it. Oh, okay. So just start nabbing up all the black men you can find. Oh, God. All right. Well, word gets out the sheriff already has Diamond Dick Rowland, so naturally a lunch mob shows up at the courthouse or prison or whatever, you know. And they're like, hey, you give us him now. And we'll be on our way. But he's a sheriff, and he's trying to do his job. He's like, no, we're not doing a lynch mob here. All right, this guy's staying here, and he's going to have a proper trial. Okay? While this argument is going on, a bunch of World War I veterans, okay, this is three years after the war, where a war that black men did go fight for their country in World War I. Of course. So they show up from Greenwood, black vets with guns, being like, look, this man is an American citizen, and he's going to have his American rights. He's going to have a trial, and we're saying this to you as American vets who, you know, fought side by side with you people in the war. Didn't go well. Scuffle happens. Again, we don't really know what happens, but it, it leads to both sides shooting at each other. People die. People get shot. All right? What the black men do is they run, they get on their trucks, and they start hauling ass back to Greenwood, where they think they'll be safe. And that, Lisa, is the Tulsa race rights. No, it's not. No, it is not. See, you've listened to this enough. What actually is going to happen is that 
the fact that black men had been killing white men is going to get out around town, and basically a massive white militia is going to form. And they're going to essentially invade Greenwood, Oklahoma, okay? And there's going to be some of those black soldiers shooting at them, like sniping at them as they're coming in, as they're approaching, trying to protect the town. So what's going to happen is they're going to start burning out their post where the snipers are posted up as, and that's just going to turn into them actually burning the entire town to the ground. What do you mean they're burning up the post? Like they yeah, so like you know they like, found out where they were sniping and ran up there and like yeah, fire so like if they're up, it? you know they're up on a water tower or something like that sniping people on the way into town. Yeah, white people would burn down the water tower. That guy up in the post dies, right? <sighs> well, it turns out what they decided to do is just burn down the whole damn town once they started getting going. With ever like with just everyone in there. Yeah, well, let's talk about it. They burned an entire thirty-five blocks. Oh my god! To the ground. It is a town with a population of ten thousand people. Every one of their homes is burned to the ground. The schools, the hospitals, everything burned to the ground. Oh. It left ten thousand people homeless. Um, another thing they were doing, because that lady in the viral video, what one thing she did do is, is said, you dropped bombs on us in Tulsa. And they literally did. What the, the, the KKK dudes and all the white mob did is they stole black-owned airplanes, like took off, and flew over town dropping like sticks of dynamite over on people's heads and on top of buildings and the theaters and stuff like that. Just children, just yes, there. Yes, and of course, I all mean, everyone was fleeing. They were fleeing to the woods. They're getting out of town. I mean, that's not behavior that like massive militaries are taking. I mean, there's so many war crimes associated with that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. To not to at burning hospitals, innocence. I mean, yeah, it was a, it was about as ugly as it gets. I mean, it's localized genocide, essentially. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Um, God. Yes. So another... And no one tried to stop it? Oh, well, that's a great question, Lisa. The National Guard showed up. Like, basically, federal police, essentially. Yeah. But the National Guard, all they really did was stopping fleeing black men and arresting them. Like, they later claimed that they were, like, doing it for their own protection... Mm-hmm. But they could have just been arresting white people that were killing people, and they didn't do that. How many people died? Officially, that they reported in the race riots, 35 people of mixed race. Mixed? Some white, some black. 35 total. Like a, uh, the total yeah. has, it was a mix. More race. likely, there was at least 300 people killed, 300 black people killed. Yeah. I mean, but again, we don't know. There was a massive cover-up of this. Whatever, whenever you're covering up for the numbers, ain't good. Yeah, the historians, from what I could see, generally speaking, except 300 about murdered black people from Greenwood, Oklahoma. Yeah, I mean that's like like so horrific. I mean that has to be one of the most horrific things in the modern in the past century that's happened on our land. I mean Yes. It is terrible. Um 
I will also say that 600 black-owned businesses existed in Greenwood that all wow. lost their store or their theater or whatever it was. It got burned up as well. Um, now, oh, one more thing. Because all these people were homeless and ran to the tree lines to sort of shelter, their homes were burned to the ground. So they basically took them and built a detention center to shelter them. And a lot of these black people who just had their homes destroyed had to basically be in a jail, like a mm-hmm. sort of a, like a newly formed jail because they were homeless, because their houses just got burned. You want to hear some wild shit, Lisa? Yeah, please. Bring me more joy. Well, about five years after this happened, the black citizens of Greenwood, Oklahoma, rebuilt the town. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, that's great. I thought you were going to give bad news. No, I have more coming. But oh. <laughs> uh, No, but this is kind of like this great thing where they actually like sort of band together. They decided to stay. And despite like living in a place where they were trying to cover it up, and they're actually actively, the Tulsa government was actively doing all these different things to try to prevent them from rebuilding the town. They did it anyway. Still had this thriving community until the 1960s. Mm. It's not as bad. It's a little more, eh, it's a little more bad because it was government related. But the 1960s is going to like seriously sort of um, limit the town. Um, one, the United States under Eisenhower started building a lot of interstate highways, um, which were great for like transportation and stuff, but the vast majority of them were built through black neighborhoods. And one of those black neighborhoods was Greenwood, Oklahoma, which was an affluent neighborhood. It was just black. So it's like it's one thing, you know, you'd be like, all right, well, you build it through a poor neighborhood because obviously all these rich people have all this power and prevent roads being built through their neighborhoods. This was a wealthy, affluent neighborhood. And they had an interstate built through it, which killed part of it. Okay? And then the other thing that we learned in unattended, an unattended, unintended consequence of integration was that once black people could start going to white restaurants and white people could start going to black restaurants, a lot of the black people were curious and started going to white restaurants. But that was not reciprocating. Right. Um, so... Basically, a lot of integra- integration killed a lot of black businesses because it wasn't keeping black dollars within black communities and businesses. They're spending them in white restaurants and stuff. Right, yeah, and that's a big concept we're seeing right now, right, which is to invest in black businesses. And it's yeah. honestly, like, it's not a concept that was introduced to me during this most recent movement, but, like, a couple years ago, um, I'm going to be bringing up Killer Mike here. Killer Mike. <laughs> Who's, uh, I think, what did we watch him on Vice? No, no, he had his own show. I think it was called Triggered on, on Netflix. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so he's a rapper from a group called Run the Jewels. And um, and he did a whole episode on trying to only spend his money at black-owned establishments. Um, and that was in Atlanta, Georgia. Right, and it was really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um and, yeah, it was a concept. I mean, it made so much sense once I heard it. But, I mean, I, I, it, I mean, sadly had never crossed my mind that that would, could be such a powerful tool to help rebuild those communities. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of white dollars out there. So if we can start being, a, you know, a little bit more inclusive with our spending, right. hopefully we can do some, make some difference. It's an excellent point, Lisa. Um, yeah. So 
I need to I need to talk about one last thing before we move on from Tulsa. Okay. Yeah. I had no idea what this had happened. Okay. Yeah. Um, I had to find out from an HBO show called The Watchmen that this was an actual event that occurred. Now, to be very clear, Lisa, mm-hmm. I have a college degree in something called American Studies. Mm-hmm. And American Studies is a study of American history and culture. And I never heard of it. And on top of that, not only was I have an American Studies degree, I had to have a focus within the degree. And my focus was race relationships in America. So I had to take a bunch of classes. I shouldn't say I had to. I chose to. Mm-hmm. Take a bunch of classes that were black world studies classes, they were called. Still was never taught about this incident in Tulsa. Not a single time. That's crazy. No, me. I know. It's, in, it's, in, it's insane. And it... It just shows the like how built in all of this is because we are we are raised with blinders. We're raised to be ignorant. Not that that's an excuse at all, but it's it's incredible how much is twisted for you know white eyes and you know to keep right. the system in place. Right, and, and that's why it's like it's so similar to how we dumb down our role in basically eliminating Native Americans from Amer- from the United States, what the modern day United States. You know? No, I know it's it's. it's just that we just similar. don't talk about it because it makes us sound bad. Right. I mean, it's basically like it's propaganda through through like omission, essentially. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're you're painting a false picture. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's not easy. It's very upsetting to talk about these things. And, you know, it, it, yeah, as the, the word that's been going around a lot is it's, you know, it's uncomfortable. There's a lot of discomfort in it. But mm. it's like anything else in your life. I mean, I think on, like, the personal level is off, often applies to the macro level, the collective, the, the country. And if you deny the existence of something terrible within you or within your country, like it will just rot and fester. I mean, it needs to be brought to light for Mm -hmm. us to move on for all, all of us to be healthier and happier. I mean, we're all connected. We all, we all are a part of this system. Even Mm -hmm. if we're benefiting, you know, we're all worse off Mm -hmm. with, with what's happened. We also all used to be part of a town called Rosewood, Florida. Mm. Is that a decent transition? I liked it. Okay, cool. Because what I mean by that is that Rosewood was actually settled by white people and freed black people mm-hmm. in 1840s Florida. 1840s, woof. Right? We're going deep for this one. Yeah, this, this can't be good. Yes. Now, I'm going to do this a lot quicker just because it's pretty much the same story with minor differences in a smaller town. But I just want to be very clear that this stuff happened and it wasn't just... Like one off, some one off in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, basically mixed race town. White people lived with black people, and they all pretty much worked at the pencil factories because there's all this cedar wood that turned a sort of pink, pink, rosy pink when it was burned. Hence, Rosewood, Florida. Mm-hmm. All right, and they all sort of lived together in the 1840s, 50s, and 60s. Okay, that's slave time. 
right? Right, and um, in Reconstruction South, right? Well, what's going to happen is sort of this perfect storm of Jim Crow laws start emerging, and then the cedar trees start dying out. So the factories are going to close, and all of the white people are going to move slightly north to a place called Sumner, Florida. So, okay, so this is post, this is after the free freedom mm-hmm. of slavery. This is sort of like, um, this is back to the Jim Crow era. This is like okay. your 1890s, 19 teens. Okay. That's but you the, said start in 1840s. That's when the town was started. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. So the town clear. started that way and they lived together peacefully, white and black people, peacefully in this town for three decades. But while one was enslaved to another. No, 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 no. They were freed blacks for the most part living here. So okay. it was like, we're talking about not so, all white people in the South that owned slaves. It was a tiny amount of the population right. and, and owned slaves. And freed blacks were earned them freedom one way or another. Yeah. And there okay. was multiple ways you could do it. Yeah. Okay. And they were living here and they were leave, living peacefully for three decades. Yeah. And there's a little tiny town in Florida. Okay. Okay. And they're working together. They're like all paid workers in a factory. Yeah. Okay. Making pencils. Mm. All right. But when all that sort of runs out... Right, so Reconstruction era ends, and we start moving into Jim Crow era, where the laws start getting super racist. Black codes come around again. Please listen to our last episode. Um, black codes come around, where it basically forces segregation. Hmm. All right, even though this is part of their community, right? But the problem is, they're in this mixed community. It's not just the black codes; is that those cedar trees run out, so the factories close, so the white people move north looking for a different work. Okay. All right, so now you basically have this little black segregated town, okay? And they basically create, and just in the middle of nowhere, Florida, this little self sufficient community of black people. One family, stick, one white family sticks around, they're store owners. They become important a little bit later, okay? So it's an entirely black community except for one white family owning a store. Okay. All right? Now, super similar story. It's, 1923 rolls around a white woman in Sumner. You know, her parents probably grew up, or at least grandparents probably grew up in Rosewood with black community, in a black, you know, with black families. Mm-hmm. Comes claiming she was assaulted by a black dude, right? Physically assaulted? Yeah, physically assaulted. She had like bruises on her arms and stuff like that. And she's screaming about being assaulted by some black guy she's never seen before. So. The white men get all riled up in Sumner, and they start prowling the woods for black men, looking for whoever did this. Okay, They're largely unsuccessful finding anyone in the woods, but they eventually make their way far enough south to get back into Rosewood. And what they deduce is that they couldn't find the black man in the woods, so he's probably being hidden by other black families in their homes. What? Yes. So they start busting into homes looking for this mythical guy who assaulted the white woman. And this goes on for like a full week where things keep getting escalated and escalated. Eventually the Gainesville KKK chapter gets involved. Of course. They come down. And what happens is basically the same thing as Tulsa. The entire city gets burned to the ground, oh except for God. one house that's still standing now. It's like kind of like a little memorial. There's one house that doesn't get burned to the ground. Okay. Um, this is a community of about 300 people. Estimations of how many people killed were anywhere from 27 to 150. Oh, God. 
Um, they were some were shot, some were burned alive. Many of them were lynched. Mm. Um, three white people die, which again is what allows them to claim that it was a race riot rather than a massacre. But here are the three white people that died and how they died. The couple that owned the store were harboring 25 black children in safety in the store. The white mob broke into the store and killed the white couple. Um, The other white person who was killed was further south of Rosewood. So as people started fleeing into the swamps and hiding, trying to survive in the swamps, Mm -hmm. um, a, a mill manager like saw them hiding and took them in. Right, So he had like a dozen black people hiding in the mill. Word got out that he was doing this. The mob went to the mill, got the white dude out of there, made him dig his own grave, and then shot and killed him in his own grave that he dug for himself for being a race traitor. Oh, my God. Yeah. So pretty much the exact same thing happened. The government didn't do anything to to try to make it look better. The newspaper stopped reporting it and everybody sort of act like it didn't happen. But the town of Rosewood was essentially just wiped off the map. Like it was a tiny little town to begin with. Like half the population was either killed or ran off and that was the end of this town. And it's not because of a trial. It's because of like mob justice. Of something that may or may not have happened. Mob justice. That was the word I was like for yeah. socialists. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's so... It's so sad. It's so awful. And it's... You know... It's... I'm... I'm because to have that, like, level of anger and... And energy to want to do those things... You know, it, it it's like, you know, when I think about people on, like, chat rooms or on social media and, like, watching them all get each other riled up, and then, like, this is just, like, the absolute nth degree. I mean, do you happen – I might be asking a question you don't know, but do you view this as as the the anger and the space to, to work themselves up over nothing? Is this, like, happening in KKK meetings? Is it happening because ever just what the, the they're consuming on TV about the black population? Is it? Yeah, so it's a great question. And like I've always thought of it like this: the Jim Crow laws and the black codes they separated people. And this is exactly, what I'm about to say is why diversity is important. Essentially, mm-hmm. they separated people. There's white neighborhoods and there are black neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. All right, white people weren't interacting with black people. Like, they didn't understand the fact that essentially white Americans and black Americans wanted the same thing, which is like a, a wife and a family and a food to feed them every night, yeah. right? Um, and so there's none of that. What we know about them in the segregated communities we lived in is what we learned from A, again, menstrual shows, and B, a birth of nation, that hit movie that we all watched. So we're not communicating with any black people. We're only seeing these fictional versions of them being portrayed. Yeah, they're completely dehumanized, I guess, is the the real issue at hand here. So much anger, though. So much anger to do that. Yes. It's upsetting. Um, It's so upsetting that that I think we might take a break before doing the second half of this, if that's all right with you, Elise. Okay. 
We'll be right back, Joe. And we're back. We are. Yeah. How was your break, Lisa? Um, uneventful. Uneventful. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry. It's almost over. And then we get a, you know. Now it's important to learn. Yes. Exactly. Even if it is sad, right? Right. As you already said, it makes people uncomfortable, but sometimes it needs to be uncomfortable. Yep. Uh, this week, June 19th, 2020, is going to be the celebration of Juneteenth. Um, Juneteenth has been around since 1865, but has never really been mainstream until like two weeks ago when this whole thing started, right? Right. So I think it's important to talk a little bit about Juneteenth, and I think it's a little important to talk about the Emancipation Proclamation because the two are closely entwined, but I think there's a lot of misunderstanding involved in it as well. Yeah. I know very – am I allowed to say what – I do know of it, or is of course, that going to throw yeah. us out? No, go ahead. What, what you got? Yeah, I, like most people, learned about this very recently, and my understanding is that it's the the day that the, that the last group of black Americans found out about their freedom as a result of the Emancipation Proclamation, and it took two years to reach them from the time it was announced till... You're looking at me like that. No, well. no, that's great. And, and, and that they were based in Texas. You're you're right. A lot of that is, is is correct to a certain extent. Okay. But a lot of what I wanted to do is is clarify the Emancipation Proclamation because it, people like talk about it like it's this all holy document, mm-hmm. but it's really in itself just kind of fucked up the whole concept of what it did, and and people give it a lot of credit, and I think it's undue credit to. To the Emancipation Proclamation, to a certain extent, Abraham Lincoln, who is this guy who's famous for freeing the slaves, but is not as good as one might think. Well, as we have learned, like even the Northern whites were still really racist and kind of assholes. So yes. it's not surprising to me that Lincoln wasn't like the yeah. the angel in all ways that we make him out to be. Yeah, I guess I should be clear about how this goes down. By our standards today, he would be considered like a pretty racist dude. But yeah. by his standards back then... Yeah, no, he definitely was a radical. <laughs> that Yeah, he was not considered racist whatsoever. Yeah. So it's just kind of like what lens you're looking at him through. Um, okay, but yeah. But here's the deal. The Emancipation Proclamation was an executive order, mm-hmm. which if you've been paying attention to Barack Obama and Trump presidencies at all, you should be familiar with the Very executive order. Very popular are. these days. Yeah, they're huge. so in right now. So huge. And just to be clear, an executive order is basically a president can declare, or like basically create a law without any other branch of the government approving it. Um, so yeah, they're, they're always kind of controversial. Yes. Um, and the Emancipation Proclamation was an executive order that freed all of the slaves. However, it freed all of the slaves in rebelling territory. Now, if you go back and listen to like a really old pod we did, one of the very first ones we did, it was about Lincoln. I don't even remember which one it was called right now. It was yeah, like I think our, Lincoln was in the name. So. Yeah, it was like our seventh episode ever, and it was about Lincoln, right? Mm-hmm. And he wrote the Emancipation Proclamation in a way that there were actually four states that were not rebelling against the Union, but were nonetheless slave states. 
In fact, the very state you and I are sitting in right now is one of them, yeah, the state of Maryland. Yeah. Okay? And there was three other border states that separated the Union and the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. He had the opportunity to free those slaves in those four states, and he did not. Okay? Was there a, a reason for it? Why he specifically did? I mean... You could make an argument for him saying that what he was trying to do is free the slaves in the South without pissing off people fighting in his army. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if you were a Maryland slaveholder, you were still fighting for the Union. And if Lincoln freed your slaves, then you wouldn't be anymore. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. But at the same time, it's also like you have this incredible ability to make an incredible statement, which is free all of the slaves without. Right. People just, I mean, there was just enormous bloodshed over this. I mean, do it. I mean, you won. Fix Mm -hmm. the fucking problem. Right. And it was signed. Technically, it went into order on January 1st, 1863. And the exact number of slaves that it freed when he signed it was zero. Because, by definition, if you are a state in rebellion, you do not take authority from the president this, from the you're rebelling against. They seceded from the nation. So Lincoln wasn't their president. You know what I mean? Yeah, so this is uh, embarrassing. Uh, this was at a point where they, the war wasn't over yet? No, no. So war started in 1861. Yeah. It ends in 1865. Oh, and the Emancipation was right in the middle. right in the middle. Oh, so sorry. So I take some of that back. Okay, so so you, look, not defending his actions at all, but you could easily argue that the reason he did that was strategy so that he could continue to have the army that he wanted and needed from, from those four states, right? Yes. And wasn't there some, like, we learned in the podcast about Lincoln, there's some weird math. Well, um, yeah, so basically what ended up happening is that he, the Emancipation Proclamation was basically military strategy. And he thought that word would get to the slaves that that he freed them and they would start running away from the populations and joining the Union Army, or at least just running away to head north to, so the slave would leave, the South would leave, lose their slave labor. Okay, so weaken them at some point. Yes. Okay. But it wasn't like this nicely motivated thing to free slaves. Yeah, no, that's, then, okay, then that clears it up. Yeah, then that's definitely not... Yeah. Nearly the impressive, uh, I guess, executive order that it was, yeah. that it's made out to be. Um, okay, and sorry, just last like technicality, but sure, sure. I'm just trying to think about the logistics here. So, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, exactly. You're part of a state that's already seceded from the Union. You find out slaves are freed, but you're living in a place that doesn't obey those laws. Yes. But let's say I'm... I'm a slave trying to weigh my options, and I'm thinking after the Emancipation Proclamation is passed, like perhaps I could, if I if I run away, that I'd have a better go of it in the North because I could claim my freed yes. status there. Yes. Okay. In theory. In theory. But remember, it didn't free slaves in the North. <laughs> it only freed slaves in places that were in rebellion. But there were slaves in the north? No, there wasn't. I'm just saying there's a lot of technicalities that we come across during this. We talked about a lot of them last podcast, right? So it's like technically slavery is legal if you commit a crime in the United States, like even still. 
So just because they weren't slaveholding states in the North, eh, you know, it's a delicate balance here. Okay. All right? It's a lot of semantics, I guess. Yeah, it's hard to keep up a racist system. You know, there's a (laughs) lot of stuff to balance. Right, exactly. Um, (sighs) But anyway, what's going to happen is is the Union is just, like, clearly going to start winning the war. Right, and then like they're going to start invading deeper and deeper into the south, and as Union army takes over cities and mm. wins battles and stuff, they're going to free essentially free these slaves, and Got that's it. sort of done in the name of the Emancipation Proclamation. But again, it's sort of all a technicality. It's like, are you really a slave if your slave owner was just killed? You know what I mean? Um, even though it's not like the slave owners were the dudes fighting the Confederacy, don't get me wrong. Those dudes were the rich guys who sat in their mansions. Why the you know the butcher's boy go died by the Union Army? Yeah, they were they were drinking lemonade. Yeah. Um. So. Okay, so now I kind of get it. So it's like the Emancipation Proclamation basically didn't take effect until they won the finish winning the war. Right. And that's the two-year gap that I read about. Okay. And that is the gap that everyone keeps talking about. It's not like the Emancipation Proclamation instantly freed all the slaves. It would only freed them when the Union would have to start taking over Mississippi, Louisiana, Virginia, South Carolina, North Carolina. Right. They, they still have to go win the war. Yeah, I mean, laws don't really mean anything at all ever unless you have the ability to enforce, enforce them. them. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, so then what Juneteenth refers to is it's this place called Galveston, Texas. Mm. Right? And Texas was very isolated compared to the rest of the Confederacy and the country as a whole for the most part, right? Yeah. It's is very far west as far as the country's development was going. Yeah. So the war is going to end April, I want to say April 9th, 1965 in Appomattox, Virginia when Robert E. Lee surrenders to the Union Army. Okay? Mm. Two months after that, a guy named General, I want to get his name right, what was his name? General Granger rides into Galveston, Texas, and starts spreading the word that all of the slaves in Texas are free. It was like hundreds of thousands of slaves mm. were just sort of freed in a very short period of time when the Union Army rolls in and the war is over. Mm. Okay, And that is sort of what the Juneteenth celebration is, because that he arrived on June 19th, 1865. And then basically what a lot of those, it's also called Jubilee Day. Um, a lot of those people, a lot of those freed slaves that are following Granger back further east, the vast majority of them went to go look for family members in Mississippi and Louisiana. Some have stuck around and took employment from their masters or mm-hmm. former masters. Uh, so a lot of people did a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the day that is celebrated in very low quantities of people in this country. It's not a huge, never really made it to mainstream. But um, just to talk a little bit about it, yeah. uh, what it looks like is kind of like 4th of July, really. And then mm-hmm. if you think about it, there's a lot of similarities between like the way a white American sees 4th of July as their mark of freedom. Yeah. Juneteenth is the real freedom for black people in this country. Yeah. So to me, I wasn't surprised reading about it that it sounds a lot like, you know, it's like celebrated by having barbecues and cookouts and family reunions, outdoor activities. Um, 
they tend to be a little more church oriented from what I can tell. Apparently the church has um, played a big role in continuing Juneteenth celebrations after 1865. Um, and a historical tradition I found is apparently uh, the drink of Juneteenth is strawberry soda. Mm. So like eggnog is to Christmas as strawberry soda is to Juneteenth. I can't say. I don't, I don't think I've ever had strawberry soda. Uh, yeah, I mean, you've never even had like a strawberry Fanta. I mean, I've I've seen them on the shelves, but I always went orange. I was an orange girl or grape. Okay. Yeah, but no, I mean, yeah. no, I'll try. Orange soda is really good. I kind of want an orange soda right now. Yeah, of all the sodas, orange is my favorite. Orange Fanta when I was in high school. Mm. Oh boy. Yeah. I can get after that. <laughs> but yeah, it is. I'm very interested to see because, like, I think. Juneteenth tomorrow is going to be big. So it's going to be sort of about protesting and continuing right. it protesting, but I think it's going to be a little more celebratory yeah. from what I can tell. Um, and then I'm interested to see as like protesting dies down in the future years, the word has gotten out about Juneteenth and like what's going to happen. I think, I mean, a lot of places are already making it a holiday. Yeah, Virginia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ralph Northam. Announced with my man Pharrell <laughs> uh, that June 19th was officially going to be paid holiday day in Virginia, in the state of Virginia. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, it's really, it's, it's good. It's cool. I mean, it's, it, again, it's shining a light, helping us remember these important milestones in our country. Okay. Shout out Texas. Texas actually made it an official holiday on, in 1980, actually. Oh, really? Like, yeah, long before anybody else did. Oh. Well, that's lovely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they do love their history, Texas history. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> Texans are obsessed with <laughs> Texas history. I think I'm going to end it there, except for maybe another quick story just to provide some food for thought. Okay. It's going to be a quick one, Luke. Give me it. For those of you out there listening to this and you're still thinking to yourself, this stuff all happened so long ago. So I know you're out there. <laughs> I want to tell a little quick story here. It's about Ruby Bridges. Do you know who Ruby Bridges is, Lise? I do not. Real quick, Ruby Bridges was the first African-American girl to go to an elementary school in the Deep South. She's a six-year-old girl, went to an all-white school in New Orleans, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Okay? She showed up at her first day of school to hordes of grown white adults calling her the N-words threatening to kill her, uh, you know, burning her epitaph and, and you know, put I, they, someone put like a black doll in a coffin or something like that, right? And then all of the, the kids withdrew from school, okay? All of the teachers refused to teach. Okay. And she spent the entire year being taught by one teacher. I have to say this teacher's name. She gets her credit. Hold on. What was her name? It was... Barbara Henry, okay, Barbara Henry was from originally from Boston, Massachusetts, okay. She was a white lady? White lady, of course, it was a white, all-white school. Spent the entire year teaching her as the only student in a classroom as if there was a full classroom there. <laughs> so the two of them just, just every day went in there and acted like they were in a full classroom, <laughs> and she taught her every subject for the whole year. All it takes is one good person sometimes. right. However, that doesn't change the fact how terrible everything going on around her was. Yeah, of course. Okay? Ruby 
Bridges is 66 years old. She's the same age as our parents. Uh, she's the same age as all of our, pretty much all of our listeners are either our age, millennials, that have parents her age, or they are baby boomers who are her age. Wow. So this, this stuff is not ancient history. It's, it, was, it was like five minutes ago in the grand scheme of things. I mean, things. really, it was. Wow. Just a little food for thought. That's, that's some good food yeah. for the brain. Yeah. Ugh. Apparently, Barbara and um, Ruby stayed friends, which makes oh, me really happy. It's adorable. Yeah. There's always a light in the darkness. Mm-hmm. 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 All right, Lisa. Thank you, Stephen. This is really important, and I hope there is more action on changing our history books. I yeah. mean, come and that's on. that's what we got to talk about this now. It feels like there is, and like I, there's just a lot of freaking white people on board these days. You know, there are a lot, and, and like sometimes there's just so much strength in numbers, and like. Yeah, and That's I think yeah, exactly. And there's there's a lot exactly. There's so many white people on board with this, and I think everyone's looking in their corner of the world to see what can I do about it. And mm-hmm. there's got to be people that work at the textbook companies. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. got to be people that make the decisions about what books to buy and what curriculum to teach, and who to people lobby. People in Hollywood deciding what movies get made. That sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It it all makes a difference. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like it's a special time. I mean, so much work to be done, but, um, I, ha- I have a lot of hope and it's obviously easy for me to say that as, as a white person that hasn't had to struggle in that way. But I also think it's really important in these contexts to remain positive because it can be really hard and overwhelming. Sure. Um, if you don't sure. have hope, you mm-hmm. know, so thank mm-hmm. you. It's very enlightening. Yeah. And I think we're gonna get out of here. We're getting getting to that time. Happy Juneteenth! Yeah, whoever happy Juneteenth. you are, have some strawberry soda tomorrow. Yeah, do it. I will. All right. Uh, my name is Steve, and I was a history teacher. And my name's Lisa, and I married him. Uh-huh.